Welcome to the Winter Palace Podcast. I'm your host, Mark Cole, editor and publisher of Odessa Steps Magazine. Today on the show is the return of Rob Viper to talk all things Lucha, including the upcoming CMLL anniversary show, why we are not getting the main event we all wanted, other things from the company, a look at some of the other matches on the show, and a lot of the other news in the world of Lucha, including the recent passing of Viano 3. We also managed to slip in some hockey talk at the end. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoy the show. Welcome back to the Winter Palace. It's always a big time in the world of Lucha this time of year, but there's been a crazy amount of news just this week, and luckily this pod had already been scheduled, so we have somebody on to talk about it. Uh, Welcome back to the show to talk about the news, his recent trip, and maybe some other stuff, is our friend Rob Viper. How's it going, Rob? It's going good, and here I thought... We wouldn't have anything to talk about. I was going to say, yeah, we had planned on just talking about your trip from a couple weeks ago. And I guess we sort of knew by the time we had scheduled this that we would know what the anniversary card was going to be. And I think we all knew to be disappointed, but I don't know if we are actually more disappointed than we expected to be or not. Um, I guess... Just to before we start, I will tell everybody what it is uh, supposed to be. Uh, there's a women's match. Their uh, second match is Angel de Oro, Aldaz, and Niebla Roja versus Felina, Mr. Niebla, and Negro Casas. Third match is Atlantis, Mystico, and Soberano versus the uh, New Dinamitas. The fourth match is the trios title with the Guerreros versus Chaos. Zeos, whatever you the the AAA guys with their weird names. Uh, the uh, semi main is Caristico, L.A. Park, and Iho de L.A. Park versus Diamante Azul of all people, uh, Phoenix and Penta. And then the main event, which is not what we at all had hoped for, it is instead uh, Barbaro Cavernario and Rouge versus Matt Taven and Volador. So. What was your immediate reaction? I think we all knew we were not getting the Rush Park match that we had hoped for, but when you saw the lineup, what did you think? The same thing that I'm thinking now as you read the lineup. I'm half asleep. I uh, just uh, I'm not disappointed because I had very low expectations. I think I had tweeted at least a month ago, more than a month ago actually, that because I was planning on heading out for the anniversary show, I was actually going to skip night one of PWG Battle of Los Angeles to hit up the anniversary and then fly for nights two and three. But I was tipped off that they're not doing LA Park versus Rush. So I changed my plans. And that's why now I just take the announcement. I was actually leaning more towards a cage more than a tag match. But once they started heading in the direction of these tag match, the hair challenges... I just accepted it, and it'll be a good match. I'm not disappointed in that because at least they put four guys in there who are going to 
have a good match and we're not getting like a Diamante Azul versus Bestia del Ring type thing. So at least we'll get a good match out of it. And the rest of the card is just another Friday night. I've seen much better cards this year on Friday night. So this will be a fine show, but it's not anything that I would say is the biggest show of the year type quality. And uh, the first thing that um, the person who really probably got hurt the most out of this is Terrible, who, you know, got hurt a couple weeks ago in an in, in indie match. And although he is now back working, I don't think he's returned to CML yet. And now they've inserted the Cavernario into what presumably would have been his slot. Yeah, it's a really weird deal. I can't even explain this one because... Terrible was exposed to, expected to be out two, two and a half weeks. He's back. He's worked at least two indie shows that I know of. And he's just not being booked in CMLL. I can't imagine that if he's ready to go, they would take him out. So I don't know what the deal is. Maybe they'll run some angle where he and Covernario gets hurt and he ends up getting into the match. Maybe they won't. I don't know. It's just very strange that he wouldn't be involved if he was originally planned. Maybe he wasn't originally playing. Maybe we're just reading too much into it, and it was always supposed to be Cavernario. Who knows? Well, again, we always have to take the caveat that CML booking is at times curious, if not more than often frustrating. But certainly them winning the tag – Roosh and Terrible winning the tag belts seem to be setting this up. But, you know, yeah, him getting hurt and – Again, Cavernario had been doing not much of anything. Uh, as Cubs uh, points out, he he has done an awful lot of losing, especially, I guess, on the things that we see. So for him, you know, it's nice that he's been elevated into, you know, an anniversary pay-per-view, perhaps maybe even, you know, a, a hair payoff. So for that, it's good, but... Yeah, it's it's very strange, and I don't think most of us expected Matt Taven to be still in CMLL. You know, he was in for a couple of weeks ago when he lost the title back to Volador. And, you know, that weekend, I guess that weekend that you guys were there where all the ROH guys were doing various shots in Mexico, and yet he's still there. He had a babyface turn. Now he's teaming with Volador, and now he's getting – you know, you've got an ROH outsider to go along with all the other insiders on the show, and he's getting a main event match out of it. Yeah, the situation with Taven is actually, I'm sure we'll talk about this guy later, but it, it's very much like Marco Corleone when he first showed up. It's just a good fit. The office absolutely loves him. They would, honestly, they would keep him there full time if he was into that. He loves Mexico. He has no problem coming for extended periods of time. So it's just a situation that's working out. He's going to hang around for a bit. They are going to keep him in the main event. And like I said, I mean, if he ever decided he wanted to come down full time, I have there's not a doubt in my mind that he would be there and he'd be one of the top CMLL guys. It's good for him. I mean, he's a he's a good worker. I have nothing against him. I was actually noting it's funny that up until this trip here, he had done something like five tours that ranged in time from two to three weeks. And I've seen him live four of those tours. It's, it just always seems to add up. He's always down there when I seem to go down there. And he's always had good matches. The crowd likes him as a technical, so I'm glad that they finally turned him because it was very confusing for a while. 
Sometimes he would come down as a technical. Sometimes he would come as a Rudo, and there was never any stability. Sometimes on the same tour, he'd, he'd rotate between technical and Rudo, but clearly they like him as the good-looking technical technical guy to be Volador's partner. And like you said, it was definitely building to a tag team title match. That was definitely where they were going before Terry Blaze suffered that fluke injury. So I wouldn't be shocked if no matter what happens in the big match coming up, he comes back later and they try to do that tag match that they wanted to do in the first place. Although it's funny that he's not, as of now, one of the people that's going to be in the Grand Prix in October. I don't know if they're just, it's because he's now a baby face and all of those guys are going to be, are going to work heel while they're, while they're there. But it's funny that they now, you know, they're bringing in guys from ROH and New Japan, but he's not one of them. Sorry, say that one more time. Well, the, they're bringing in people from New Japan and Ring of Honor for the Grand Prix, but yet he's not going to be one of them. Oh, yeah. he. Uh, I guess it's just, a, it's just uh, the way it's cycled. I mean, he gets his turn. Like I said, he hasn't shown interest to come down full-time yet, so if he's spending uh, what's going to be, what, a month, let's say, because he came August 3rd, more than a month, so if he's spending basically six, seven weeks in Mexico, I guess. That's his time to go home afterwards, and I'm sure he'll be back at some point. And for the Grand Prix, it's really a mixed bag. I mean, I, they're bringing in... I keep thinking that they called the wrong Finley because it doesn't make sense that they would have the senior. Maybe they wanted the junior, because they seem very confused a lot of times every year when they bring in talent. Like They've got this dark magic guy, and they keep saying he's an ex-WWE and ROH guy which makes no sense unless they think they have Kenny King around again. And the other year they were, they were talking about King Haku as if he was still a current wrestler who was still working the world. And then eventually he ended up getting pulled. So when it comes to the guys who are in for the Grand Prix, I have no idea how they choose them. And I have no idea if they even know who they're getting at times. And it seems like there's always people around if they need an emergency fill-in. Like, there's, you know, I mean, Okamura is always on the team, and there's always random Japanese guys around if they needed, you know, Kawado's not booked in it, and, you know, he's always, I guess he'll still be there. You know, he's there if they need somebody to fill in, or, you know, there's always a random person that can they can throw in that match on the, on the visitor side, as it were. But, yeah, yeah. There's, there's guys like, Musashi is hanging around. I know that our friend Cubs fan thought that for sure he was going to end up making it on the team. It is strange that they would put Okamura instead of Kawado. I mean, it's not that strange if you think about the politics of CMLL and Okamura wants to, Okamura's in charge. He wants to keep himself relevant. So naturally, he'd put himself in there. And to be quite honest, I don't want to see Kawado in that match. I would rather Okamura if you gave me the choice. I think Kawado has been a huge disappointment. I don't blame him per se. I just think he's miscast because he's a fiery baby face and they've got him working as a Rudo again because Okamura wants a partner and wants himself attached to whichever New Japan guy's in there. Would you say he's been a bigger disappointment than Fujin and Raijin were? Because they seemed to start out pretty good and then eventually just sort of faded off and disappeared and then went back to Japan. I don't know if I would say that they were more of a disappointment just because their time was so short there. I think they only last, they didn't even last 
barely six months. So I, I, uh, it's hard to pick, it's hard to, uh, it's hard to judge them because they were in and out so quickly. And I still don't even know why they were in and out so quickly. It, it seemed like a good fit for them, but we just never got a chance to see it play out completely. Well, I wonder also, it's like, did we get spoiled because of how great Kamantachi was while he was there? And then, you know, the success he sort of parlayed that into once he went back that, and you're like, has he been sort of like the most successful import in, in a while, I would say, probably. Yeah, because before him was Namahage, who did great in Mexico. But then when he went back to Japan, he they gave him a strong push right away, and then he kind of fell to the mid-card. That's why the thing with Kamaitachi is, I don't want to be too hard on Kawado now, because when Kamaitachi started, he was terrible. People don't even remember that. He was really awful his first couple months, and he hated Mexico. He got in trouble because his ma- he had a different mask when he started off, and he hated that mask, and it actually fell off by accident during a big Friday night match, and he got punished for that. He really was asking to leave, didn't want to stay, didn't like the country. And you could see what happened. You know, He eventually grew into it. He found a partner to work with in Dragon Lee, who made it much more fun for him to be down there. And like, he was so successful by the end he didn't even want to leave when they wanted him to come back so i think with kawada we just got to wait it out he's going to get used more used to the style as time goes on i don't think there are plans to bring him back right away i think just recently okamura was on cml informa and said that okamura is in here for the long haul so we'll see if he grows into it if he doesn't maybe they send him to the u.s afterwards so like i said i don't want to judge kawada too harshly right now but kamaitachi was definitely I would say in the top three of Japanese wrestlers CML has had since they've done the deal with New Japan. I would say Naito's up there. And mm, Yoshihashi was pretty bad. Yujiro was pretty bad. But a guy like Nakamura, I mean, I think we think that Kamaitachi, Nakamura, and Naito would be the top three, if you ask me. Yeah. And the other story that's been related to the anniversary show, like we were saying, we were not getting the uh, Rush versus Park match. And CML has trotted out a variety of different reasons slash excuses for why it's not happening from the fans want, you know, to see the match that we're getting versus blaming AAA and even sending out, you know, a press release blaming AAA. It's all very strange, but do you think, is it because of the trip, the triple mania match in fear of Park losing, or is it Park wanting more money and so they changed their mind, or they're just dragging it out the way CML drags stuff out, or is it a combination of everything? I I don't know. I think everybody's lying, no matter what people will read online now. I know that CML gave their side, LA Park gave his side. Rush is talking about a million things that don't make sense. Everybody is lying to protect everybody, to protect a different person. Like nobody's lying for the exact same reason. Everybody's got their own self-interest in mind. The bottom line is I think Park has a certain price. I think CMLL does not want to pay that price. I think we realized that once the ticket prices went on sale for the anniversary, what they want to make this year is not what Park wants to make this year. 
I think Park is more than content to just sit out and wait until someone's willing to pay his price. I think he definitely wants to do the match with Rush. That's his end game. But he's not going to do it at a discounted rate. The The fact that everybody's reacted so negatively, the CML fan base, to not getting the match, I think that helps Park's side in the long run because CMLL is going to want to make it up to their fan base by doing it. But CML is not going to pay an absurd amount. And if Park's going to keep being a business, a bad businessman by raising his price over and over and over and not sticking to the original price that he quotes people, which was the problem that him and Dr. Wagner Jr. had, then I think CML is just going to wash their hands of the entire situation. But if he can settle on a price and he can agree to drop the mask, because I definitely think that's something here where he, he wants to drop the mask, but he keeps changing his mind about it, then at some point it can get done. But if he's going to just do the same thing he did with Wagner, he might fall into a situation where he might have to lose it the same way as Wagner, where he's going to have to end up losing it to a AAA guy, even though he does want to lose it to Rush. They have a gentleman's agreement that Rush is going to take his mask when the time comes. Do you think part of it may also be that this feud has kind of gotten Park hot again and he's getting American bookings and maskless Park isn't the same appeal to people, especially in the U.S. who remember him from Nitro, as Park without the mask? Nah, I don't think that has anything to do with it. I think that's just a bullshit reason, whoever writes that. He... If he lost his mask, let's let's pretend that he loses his mask in two days, a triple mania, that he shows up at the building. AAA says, well, here, we drew a full house and with these ticket prices and we'll give you, I don't know, $350,000. That'd be, I think, 100000 more than Wagner got. And Park says, okay, yeah, I'll take it, and just drops the mask that day. He's still showing up for all his U.S. Indy bookings masked. There's not even a question in my mind. He'll work the match masked. Either it'll get ripped off during the match, or after the mask he'll take it. After the match he'll take it off. That's why I don't think the U.S. bookings have anything to do with it. We've seen this before, where guys lose their mask and then they spend the next six months working matches with their mask, only to take it off at the end. It's... I will say, I certainly saw enough shows in Chikara with Pantera masked again, Skyda masked again. You know, guys had who had long since lost their masks in Mexico worked worked masked in I don't even I'm trying to think if Felino may have worked masked when when he did the powerbomb show. So He did and then he took it off afterwards, I believe. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, yeah, I'm sure yeah, it's not I just I just wondered if that was like a small factor even Now, do you think it's possible that the main event that part could Park could play some part in the main event. Could could he do something in the main event to cause Rush's team to lose, which would set up next year's anniversary? Or is that just sort of fantasy booking? It's logical if they're going in a direction. But when you talk about logic, you should not be talking about Arena Mexico because that's that's not the building where logic exists. They're just going to do whatever they want. And especially with everything that's gone on in the past 48 hours, I don't think they trust Park, no matter what he says. And I don't think that 
they would want to tease their fans anymore because even if he doesn't interfere and let, let's, let's fantasy book, as you say, he interferes, he does something, it backfires, Rush and Cavernario win, Volador gets shaved, and Park says, oh, Rush, this can't stand, me and you, mask versus hair, and march at those Leyendas. I don't think at this point anybody is going to believe it because we just went through the exact same challenges and everybody thought they were getting the match. So why would it be any different if they're challenging now for a match that's going to happen six months from now? Yeah, I agree. I mean, it seems like this is definitely a case of the boy who cried wolf when I wouldn't expect anything to happen until it happens. Because, yeah, again, it, you, it, you, you only need Park, Park to one more time pull a, you know, pull something on the live mic that pisses off somebody in CMLL, and they're like, nope, we're done. Like what happened, what, three years ago, two years ago, whenever that was? Yeah, three years ago. And listen, if they're doing this match, if they, if they can come to an agreement and they can get his signature and his word, the only way to do this at this point now is to just have Park go away. If you're doing it in March, let's say you bring him back at some point as a surprise in January or February, as close to the event as possible. You have him show up, challenge for the match, and that same week you do the signings, you have picture, you like you do a public thing where he's signing something. You do it in such a way where, as the company, if it doesn't happen after everything, he looks like the heel. And the fans blame him. Because right now, all the blame is on CMLL. They look completely inept. And to tell you the truth, they are inept. And they are lying. But so is he. But you got to position it in a way where it happens. He's the one who looks like he's backing out if it doesn't happen. Which is why you got to do a public contract signing. And everything has to, everything has to line up. you got to run the angle the week before the press conference. And the week before tickets go on sale, everything has to happen. That's the only way fans are going to believe that it's actually happening. Because if you do it the same way as this time, no one's going to buy it. I agree. And uh, before we move on, what is what does your gut? What is your famous hashtag? Rob was right. Gut tell you about the finish of the main event? Who who will who will be bald? Uh, where in the CML? Yeah, yeah, the main event. Oh, I mean, I, I don't think that Rush is losing his hair. Because if Rush was losing his hair in, in a match, they would, it would not be an attack match like this. They would either toss in Atlantis to do mask versus hair, but it would be definitely be something bigger than Matt Taven and Volador winning the two hairs. I think it's time for Volador to lose his hair as much as I love his hair. And honestly, it looked like he was going Rudo for a while. I could see him switching to more of a tweener role at some point, and it was fit. So I'm going to go with Rush and Cavernario winning this one. That is that is my that is what my gut tells me. But anything yeah, anything is you know I was I was in the I was among the many foolish people who thought Sombra was winning. So you know what do I know? The other thing that's sort of related to the anniversary show day is we now found out that Impact is taping in Mexico City two nights, the day before the anniversary show and the day of the anniversary show. And apparently, as of now, 
Penta and Phoenix are going to work both shows, whether they work both Friday shows, I guess we'll be, we'll wait and see, but what do you, what do you think about this whole deal? It's, it's sort of, I mean, it's odd, but. I think it doesn't make sense. I, we'll see how, we, I mean, it's still brand new information. It's CMLL. They had no idea it was coming. I don't think like, uh, without going too too much into how things work on a Friday night with wrestlers who are on the show, CMLL generally, for a big show like that, does not permit wrestlers to work somewhere else and then show up in time just for their match. There's a whole protocol you got to go through the day of the show. And all the wrestlers have to be in the building at a certain time for a Friday night show. So even if, let's say, the Impact taping started, let's go with 7.30 local time, and the CMLL show starts at 8.30 local time. And Phoenix and Penta go out and work the first match at Impact and then run over to CMLL. It can be done logistically. Now, whether CMLL will permit it is a whole different thing. The logical thing would be that whatever Impact is taping with Phoenix and Penta, they just do the night before on the Thursday taping because they're doing the 13 and 14. I just don't know if uh impact can run a show without having phoenix and penta around on the 14th and they're advertising them and phoenix and penta have both said they're working on the 14th so my gut tells me that cml is going to pull them from the show and wash their hands of them my but don't take that as 100 percent confirmation we'll see what happens they're already announced that they're working other shows before at arena mexico just with everything that's going on right now, I think it's a very tenuous situation. And we'll have to see how it plays out week by week because Phoenix already has heat with office for missing the show on the 17th. So we'll see what happens. But this is uh, uncharted water right now because CML is playing nice with others. And that tends to not go well. And you can already see, picture it as a bridge. One of those, uh, what do you call those bridges when you're walking through a, a forest or a mountain and there's like this thin bridge that spreads across two mountains and it's rocking back and forth and you can hear the sound that it's about to fall that's kind of the relationship that cml has with the outsiders right now we'll see if that bridge holds up before september 14th yeah it's this whole uh you know trend this year you know, them bringing in more and more outsiders is just on the surface so very CMLL or so un-CML-like, but it blowing up is very CML-like. So I know, you know, especially people who haven't been watching as long as you have or even as I have, you know, know that there are the, these occasional bursts of creativity, ingenuity, that quickly go away. So this just seems like another, you know, hey, this is cool for a while at last, but we know, you know, something will happen and somebody will sour on this idea and it'll just go back to the way it was before. Yeah, I've, I've been watching so long. I've been through this a million times where a new idea comes along and then it's gone. Look at, look no further than the Martes de Nuevo Valores shows, the Tuesday shows that you see every week. When those started, they originally had the younger guys being moved up on the show, working with more of the veterans. That's when you had the Negro Casas, Puma, and Tiger versus Blue Panther and his son's feud. 
and that was semi-main event or a main event on the Tuesday shows as it should be. It was fresh, and that was the whole purpose of the shows. But over time, CMO went back to what they usually do. It was just another show to get guys work, and now it makes no sense that it's called Martes de Nuevo Valores. So when it comes to new ideas in CMLL, you cannot, you cannot just, uh, you cannot, uh, how do I say this? Uh, when it, ha- when it, when the new ideas come, you cannot expect that they're going to stick around. They will be gone because there's a reason that CMLL is called the serious and the stable. It's because they always go back to the stable way of doing things and they try to present things as if the, as if it's a serious product. You know, they don't, they don't want to, be like triple a or like any of these other groups that exist in Mexico or even groups on the outside. And I criticize it a lot, but let me just set the record straight. If I was working for CMLL, I would hundred percent be doing things the way they do it because that's the safe way of doing it. Look what's happening now with all the outsiders and the problems that are being caused, all the criticism that they're getting. It's better to live in your bubble. If you can get away with doing that, I mean, there's a reason they've been in business 85 years. It, the only time they were ever in trouble was when AAA formed from the inside. They got sabotaged by people who they trusted who were in their own office. And so that's why for all these years, they've closed the door to new people. They've closed the door to new ideas. And I don't blame them at all because I would, I would also be reacting the same way they do if I had something that was working and then all of a sudden it almost died one day because of outside forces. So while I criticize CMLL, I do understand where they come from. When I go to Mexico and I talk to people who work for CMLL, I tell them, like, this is what I would do to change things. I've given my ideas to people there before. I mean, not people who are high enough to actually make a difference, but people who do work for the company. And they agree that some of my ideas, and I'm not bragging, I'm just telling you that my ideas are good, but you cannot implement them in CMLL for no matter how minor the changes may be. For example, just setting up uh, a table in the hallway outside the show where the wrestlers can sell their merchandise. You can't do it. Why can't you do it? Because that's just not how CMLL does things, for example. And if you can't implement a minor thing like that, there's a reason that bigger changes can't be made. You understand what I'm saying? Yeah, well, it's the thing where you've got sort of a vertically integrated company where, you know, the promotion, you know, owns the buildings and, you know, right. and it owns the, the contract. So it's like, I mean, you said this before, like you do not, you know, their overhead is so small that even a small profit is still a profit and, if that's enough for the people in charge, you know, to, to do what they need to do, then it's like, why shoot for the moon, you know, why shoot for the moon and possibly, you know, either fail or lose money or do something when you're, you've got such a guarantee and, you know, yes, you get, you know, the, the valleys when, you know, you've only got a couple thousand even on a Friday and whatever. And then, Occasionally, you you know a blind nut or a blind squirrel finds a nut. You get you know these recent house shows that they've had where they've broken. I don't know if you know they've come close to or broken ten thousand. And we certainly know what a big number ten thousand is now for people to draw. You know the the all in show is you know this huge deal that's like oh this is the only 
time somebody other than Vince has drawn this house since WCW or whatever, you know, ignoring the fact oftentimes that, you know, Arena Mexico does that every so often when it's hot. You know, I mean, the, you know, the, the, uh, the Atlantis Ultimo Guerrero anniversary show drew a crap ton of people. So they do it every right. so often. This feud lately, you know, between the park thing, the Lucha Brothers coming in, you know, certainly not the the uh, chaos guys, Lord knows. But, you know, it's been hot for a while. And, you know, it's probably after the anniversary, it'll go back down again because it naturally goes back down that time of year anyway. So, you know, they've made a decent profit for a couple of months and, you know, they're probably happy with that. Right. One of my pet peeves, like you were saying about the all in stuff, when people talk about crowd size, sometimes people just forget that Mexico is in North America. So you yeah. can't say that North America. That's a really a pet peeve of mine. When people just talk about, oh, North America, and they don't talk about Vince and now all in. It's like, no, Mexico's in North America and there are crowds of 10,000. So they should count. But I'm going to say even Dave forgot a couple of weeks ago when he was talking about it. And because because I, I emailed him, and I'm like, did you forget about, you know, the Lance Alta Grimogorea match? And he admittedly, he said, he's like, yes, and I'm fixing it in the next issue. So, you know, even even Dave, who never forgets anything, you know, forgot sure. that one time. And, yeah, it's, yeah, it's North America. You know, if you mean United States and Canada, say United States and Canada, don't say North America. Yeah, it's like just a blind spot for people. They just forget that Mexico. They, for some reason, a lot of people think Mexico's in South America, which is very strange. I think that our schools need to teach the map a little better. But the other thing is, you point out, like you talk about crowds will go down after the anniversary. That's another thing that I get a little annoyed with when people are like, "Oh, CML do poorly. There was only 2,500 people at Arena Mexico on Tuesday." Like, you don't understand. CML's profit margin is so low that they can draw 2500 and they're making a lot of money on that show alone. They're not making a lot of money in the sense of the Friday business that's going up and drawing 10,000 plus these days, but they're making money. Not a lot of promotions can say we filled uh, 15% of how much our building owns and we still made a profit. That would be a disaster for most companies. But CML can put 15% of what Arena Mexico holds in the building and they're making money because all they're doing is paying the wrestlers and the staff. Everything else is coming into their pockets, beer sales, parking, everything goes into their pockets. It's, it's goddamn ridiculous. So that's why I talk about how like all these promotions will come and go. But at the end of the day, even if WWE comes and starts something in Mexico and starts doing their own thing, CML will still be standing because all they need is a bunch of wrestlers to work a show and they're going to make money. They will always have that advantage over everybody that comes and goes in Mexico. And they've even gotten hot in Puebla. I mean, I don't know if it's still true uh, recently, but, you know, a month, six weeks ago, they were seemingly packing Puebla Monday nights, and it didn't look like the cards were that spectacular. But, you know, you know it's, it's good when they actually sent out tweets like praising how full the arena is, you know, cause they normally don't bother with stuff like that. But, you know, I, 
I don't know if it was because they were having title matches or if it's just because the product in general was hot, but, you know, it was certainly more full than you ever usually normally see it. Well, I was told that July is the vacation month in Puebla. It's like uh, there's people are off work for some reason. People, the school is out, and that's why attendances go up always in July. That's why that's they always have the anniversary show of Puebla in July. So that's why the attendance was up there. Plus, it carries over into August a bit. So they've had the crowds up recently. And yeah, Puebla has been jam-packed for the past couple of weeks. But other th- like you don't hear that. That's the thing. You bring it up on this podcast, but you don't see that written about. It's weird. Like They never mention it. They've never mentioned the Observer, which I understand because Puebla is not a major show or anything. But it's not just Puebla. The Coliseo Guadalajara, the attendance has been remarkably up this year. We were talking with the person who works as the director of the arena on Tuesday nights when CML runs their show because she was in town for the big show on August 3rd when I was down there. And she was talking about it. It's, it's crazy. Tourist business is really up with the people coming to see those Guadalajara shows. But there's more interest. Like they used to, she was telling us there is the floor seating at Coliseo Guadalajara, then there's the elevated seats, and then there's the upper deck. And they used to not even open the upper deck. If you bought a GA ticket, you would just come in and you would sit far back on the elevated seats because that's just what they were drawing. And there was no point opening up the top because there, it just it wouldn't look good and there wasn't enough people to fill up the top. So why even open it? But this year, especially, I think she said, mm, I, gotta, I, don't, I don't want to be wrong and say the wrong thing, but if you look up in Cubs' updates, he talks about when they started to run the Touri bus business in Guadalajara that just started this year or maybe at the end of last year but like I said you can look it up Cubs has the information since then crowds have been remarkably up and the atmosphere is so much better it's just a big uptick in business all around for CMO and every arena they're running so this has been a great business year for them and that could be another reason why they don't feel the need to pay for a mask like LA Park they've done good business this year there is zero reason for them to spend a ton of money on a mask when they don't have to. They've made their money. And they've also got a ton of new sponsors this year. Everything is going good for CMLL this year. Randomly, did you ever get a copy of the book? Yeah, yeah. I got one for myself and like an idiot. I agreed to buy for like five different people. And then when I was at the show, I bought it back in March when I went down for Dos Leyendas. And then I realized the book is friggin' heavy. So I could only end up taking like four, literally four of them fit in my bag and I had to carry the other one. Those things are heavy, but they're really good. You should definitely get one. I was going to say, I just haven't gotten around to it yet, but you would say it is worth, worth, worth the, worth getting. Oh yeah. There's a ton of cool pictures in there that I hadn't seen before. And just as a keepsake, it's really good. And I got lucky the week that I bought it at Dos Leyendas, it was (laughs) Negro Casas who was signing he wasn't working the show. He was just there to sign the book in the in the lobby of Arena Mexico. So I, I, it's not like my friend went down recently and they had I think Tiffany was signing in the lobby. So kind of a downgrade. So since we mentioned uh, everyone's favorite Negro Casas, you were the weekend that you went to Mexico. You were at the Negro Casas anniversary show, right? That's one of the things that you went to while you were down there. Yeah, I was down there. I booked the trip before any of this was announced, so I just completely lucked into it. So, because uh, I guess 
I guess if you just want to talk about either that show or some of the indie shows that you went to that weekend and what you may recommend for people to check out if it's available online or just, you know, in general, how, how your weekend was. Well, like I said, I, got, I mean, I got lucky. Not only did I get to Friday, I also originally I booked the trip just Saturday because I knew there was going to be some big indie shows. Those were announced ahead of time. And it just so happens that Negro Casas ended up working one of the indie shows I went to on Saturday and they did another tribute to him. So I basically got two in a row. The The book trip was originally booked because Mexa Wrestling was doing their anniversary show and they had announced a mask match in the main event which I wasn't that interested in. It was Flystar versus Toxin. They had a fantastic match back in either May or June, which set up the eventual mask match. But I was going because I knew that there was going to be other matches on that show that were really interesting that hadn't been announced at the time. But since I knew they were coming, I was like, okay, I'm going down for that show. And I'm going to turn it into a double shot because it got announced that Hechicero was doing the Puro Raza show with ROH guys. So I figured I could turn it into a double shot and it would work out perfectly. Then over the next couple weeks after I had already booked it, I found out that the Arena Mexico show I was going to was going to be the Negro Casas 40th anniversary show. Wow, super bonus. Then they announced, oh, we're also doing LA Park and the Lucha Brothers against Rush and the Briscoes. Blew my mind. Then they announced, oh, we're also going to do Volador Jr. versus Matt Taven. So the regular Friday Arena Mexico show turned into a show that I think is or was bigger than what the anniversary is going to end up being. Uh, we showed up there on the Friday. It was a fantastic show, top to bottom. I cannot recommend it enough. The main event is one of my favorite matches that I've seen live at Arena Mexico. The atmosphere for Rush and LA Park was just, you got to go to my Instagram and see the videos. The ground was shaking when those two were in the ring. It was electric. It was a fantastic match. The Volador Taven match was very good live. I know if you're not into the Tiratas bullshit, then you're not going to enjoy it. But listen, that plays well to the live crowd. No matter what you may think of it, they were super into him slow counting, and it only increased the pop when Volador Jr. won. The Negro Casas anniversary match was nothing special, and in a sense, kind of sad, because you can see guys like Solar and Blue Panther who really can't go anymore. Octagon and Flares, I haven't been able to go for a while. The only man standing is the man we were celebrating, Negro Casas. He looked amazing, but it was worth it for the pre-match festivities just to see him in the ring with his grandchildren. You can see how happy he is to be a grandfather. The whole dancing with his wife, everything came off just so spectacular. I think I mentioned it on Twitter, how like when WWE does stuff like this, they have a whole production team, so they can put together great video packages. But at the end, for me at least, it's just my opinion, it comes off, like their whole Hall of Fame thing comes off very overproduced. People who are being told what to say at certain times, they have to use the company lingo. It's not what I want out of it. With Negro Casas, it was more, or when CML does it in general for people, it's more honest it's more sincere you can tell the people are saying exactly what they want to say and i just thought it was beautiful i i thought the crowd really loved it they cheered after his match they gave him a standing ovation and they asked for him to come back out after he already left it was just a really nice thing i, I very much enjoyed it 
And on the undercard, I got to see Audaz and Templario, who I think are the two future stars of CMLL, just absolutely tear it up in the opener. And I didn't have to see a women's match, so you know how much I love that. <laughs> what did you think? You saw the show. Yeah, I mean, it was really, it was, like I said, they've been, they've had lots of good stuff recently. And that, yeah, that probably was, was probably like the best show, the best Friday show of the year, easily, I think. I mean, there were a couple, you know, a couple of months ago that were really good. And there were some stuff that was good at the beginning of the year. But yeah, certainly all of the matches that you wanted to deliver, delivered. And yeah, the Costas match wasn't going to be a good match, but it was, it was good for what it is. And and like you saying, we're saying like the thing about Lucha that people sometimes don't get is like Lucha is sometimes more about the pageantry than the product. And like you sort of have to understand the culture and the whole thing and you know, sometimes the work doesn't always match the pageantry, but like when you have when both are working, it's really great. It's like you know we were talking about that. You know the Atlantis Ultima Guerrero match from a couple years ago. You know that. You know that was just an amazing spectacle. And I mean, and usually when the anniversary shows have the matches that deserve it, it's really great. And you know, we haven't gotten to this yet, but, you know, a lot of people have been watching the Atlantis-Viano 3 match this week since Viano 3 passed away. And that's another case where, you know, everything worked. You know, the match quality matched the pageantry, and that's a reason, you know, in that case that a lucha match overcame all of the obstacles to win match of the year in the Observer. You know, because it was that great. And, you know, the Atlantis Ultima Guerrero match was close to that. And, you know, if we would have gotten Russian Park in this main event, that could have rivaled it. But that's that's one of the things that makes Lucha Lucha. Yeah, definitely. I mean, uh, the guys who like, uh, like the guys who blog at Segunda Caída, they have great taste in Lucha. They they pick out good matches, but at the end of the day, that's not the Lucha Libre experience. They're, the people aren't there. They're happy to see good wrestling, obviously, but they're into the show aspect. And I cannot recommend enough. Everybody should get out to Reno, Mexico at some point, especially if it's like going to be a, a good turnout. When I was there for the Negro Casas thing, I mean, that was a near full house for that show, or a full house. But depending on how you look at it. I mean, there were scattered empty seats, but, I mean, it was a full house to me. Because those seats, they were all sold. And it's just such a great experience to be in there when the, the, the building is full, people are screaming, people are into everything. That's the one thing about a lucha crowd. Like, they're not going to be negative. They are not showing up there to do smart-ass chants. They're not doing there to shit on people. They are there to get into what they see. So they wanted to see the Mexican win the match, like my example with Volor, Jr. and Taven. So they weren't getting pissed off at Tirantes counts because it was ruining the match. They were getting pissed off because Volador was getting screwed. So when he won at the end, he got the giant pop. Now, I can understand if you're sitting at home watching on a computer, that could get annoying. I'm not saying I'd be any different. If I was watching from home, watching that match, 
I would probably be annoyed too because I'd want to see a good match. That's why I'm sitting there. I'm not here in my house, you know, screaming at the computer screen in anger or in excitement as much as I am live. When I'm live there, I'm standing up, I'm going crazy chanting Volador Jr.'s name. And that's the Lucha Libre experience. I hope everybody gets a chance to do it. And for as much as we talked about earlier, if they run Rush versus LA Park and they give enough notice to where I can justify a trip, I'm going to go because nothing will beat the experience of seeing a match like that live in Arena Mexico. It'll be fantastic. And it's not even just that. The next day, I went out to the two indie shows and the Mexa Wrestling Show had the most people I've ever seen in Arena San Juan. They have like four levels to that building. They have the ground level, the second deck, the third deck, and they have a fourth deck, which you can't really see in a lot of the video because nobody bothers filming up there because it's always empty. But for this show, there were actually people up there because there was so little room on the other levels. Everybody was jammed in there. It was such a great atmosphere. So much fun. There was some good wrestling. I really regret the fact we only stayed for half the show because we wanted to go see the Pura Raza show with ROH guys. And this ties right in with what I'm talking about when it comes to atmosphere. We left. We went to Pura Raza. And we might have seen good technical matches with Hechicero and Chris Daniels and the Briscoes against Volador and Ray Cometa. But there were only like 200 people there in a place that holds about 2,000 or so. It was a dead atmosphere. And you might think that, okay, Hechicero versus Chris Daniels was a better match than Flystar versus Toxin, the mask versus mask match that was happening back at the Mexa Wrestling Show. But if I could be one time, I would have stayed at the Mexa Wrestling Show and watch that mask match because nothing was going to beat that atmosphere. That is one of the matches of the year in Mexico. They killed themselves. They had a match that was very violent and bloody, but that match was tremendous, and I really regret not seeing it live. That's another example of the Lucha experience live is something that people have to, like, people used to tell me this before I went to Mexico, and I would roll my eyes and be like, oh, you're just saying that because you've been there before, and you're trying to make me feel bad because I've never been down there. I'm not trying to make anybody feel bad. I'm just saying, if you have the ability to do it, whether it be money-wise or a situation in life where you're not tied down by family, you have to experience it once. Arena Mexico and one of the smaller buildings. And when you come back, you will see what I'm talking about. There, It's just, it's a different way of watching wrestling. It's it's nothing comparable to here. I can't even come up with the best crowd that I experience in the U.S. will probably be at PWG. Any shows I go to PWG. But even those crowds don't even match to what it is in Mexico because in Mexico, it's still the purest form. It's people wanting to see the good guys win or at least if you show up there and you want to see the bad guys win, you cheer for the bad guys. That's the type of wrestling I like. I like where I can turn my brain off don't have to worry about what's going on on Twitter, what the controversy is. Uh, don't have to worry about, is this match four and a half stars or four and three quarters? I just have to worry about, I'm here to join myself with a bunch of these fans to drink, to watch two guys. I want to pick one guy to win and I want to cheer for them to win or lose. That's, that's what wrestling was when I was younger. That's why I got into it in the first place with WWF. You know, I, it's a very simple, basic form of enjoying wrestling and, I wish more wrestling was like that, to be honest. Well, I remember the first time I went to Tijuana was, I think, in 2000, like 99 or 2000 while I was in San Diego for Comic-Con. And, 
you know, yeah, it was, I mean, I only sort of have vague sort of memories of, you know, the trip and buying stuff outside the arena. Like, you know, I still have my little cheap knockoff luchador figures that I bought, you know, probably for like a dollar or whatever. But the funny, the, and the, uh, like the only two things that I remember from the, the show itself is one of the matches, I think, I think it was this show, was Super Parker versus Pimpy. So you can just imagine, like at your first Lucha show, you get you get an Exotico versus, you know, the guy in the La Parca outfit, but he has a Superman logo on. And you're just like, this is so weird. You know, now in hindsight, it, you know, it's certainly, you know, now that I know the context of everything, it's, it's sort of cool. And I think, you know, I, th- I think the kiss was still on was on that card, but the main event was a six man, and Santo was in it, and this is like the story that I remember most is we're watching the match going along, and you know we had front row tickets because you know we got in line, and we were you know paying with like American dollars, so we got like the best seats, and all of a sudden we're in the third fall. And as it's going on, I start seeing security guys come out, like slowly. And they like they slowly surround the ring, and I'm like, "Oh no, Santos losing this match." And that's what, exactly what happened. He got screwed in the third fall and did the job, and the beer started and whatever else. They were throwing stuff, and people were severely pissed. I know I ended up with like a beer shower because we were in the front row. <laughs> That's awesome. But yeah, that's, you know, that's like the Lucha experience. Yeah, it's not, you know, it's not your, you know, I used to love, you know, going to a firehouse in Reading with 80 people and watching Chikara, which was cool because of just the intimacy of it. But, you know, it's 80 people in Reading, Pennsylvania. It's not a couple thousand people in, you know, a Mexican arena with everybody going crazy and the world's biggest hero getting jobbed in the main event and everyone going crazy. I, I love stories like that. I could listen to stories like that all day. And I wish I'm jealous. I wish I could experience that, that night because unfortunately I've never been involved in a situation where I've been doused with or involved in a semi riot, or if you want to call it that, but I want to be because that's just like that's the prime for that's the most basic form of wrestling where you can get so into it. It it honestly annoys me sometimes because I go to a lot of indie shows these days. I'm going to next week to All In and AW, all these weekend stuff. And I know I'm not going to experience something like that. Like I'm going with friends who I won't name, obviously, but when we talk about the shows and how excited we are, they just want to talk about, well, this match could be good. These guys, could, if they put in their full effort, could hit four stars or something like that. And I'm like, I, I'm not interested in that. I'm going to, I'm going to watch Pentagon and Phoenix, and I want to cheer for them. Or I'm going to all in, and I want to, I want to cheer for the Mexican team to win the main event over the Bucks and Ibushi. That's that's what I feel is missing for a lot of people these days. I think there's too many smart fans out there that are just into match quality over. Why don't you? get into some of these wrestlers on a personal level and enjoy what they do in the ring so you can actually cheer for them. I That's how I like wrestling. That's why I have my favorites, and I'm going to cheer if that's... 
I mean, you see it when you follow me on Twitter. <laughs> and no matter what Volador is involved in, I'm going to cheer for Volador because I'm a Volador Jr. fan. I don't care if the match is not so good. I'm going to cheer because I'm going to be into it because I want to see Volador win at the end of the day. That's just the bottom line for me. And I just wish that's a great story that you told because the people who were there, you know, you were talking about kisses on the show. Now, at that point, Kiss was probably completely decrepit because I remember even in the mid-90s, he was decrepit. So I can imagine into the 2000s, he probably couldn't do anything, but that crowd was probably red hot for him because he was the local guy. They were they were concerned that he was going to blow all his moves. It's just like what we were talking about, the Negro Casas anniversary match. They fucked up, oh, excuse me, they messed up a lot of stuff in the first two falls. And the crowd didn't 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 get on them didn't boo them. They were there to respect them and cheer for them because those are the guys, they, they were happy. They just wanted to see Negro Casas win. So what happened? Negro Casas won and the crowd went crazy. It's very basic stuff that I wish a lot of people would get into more these days. Yeah. So uh, as we are recording this Thursday night, um, Moss Lucius is actually showing the Puraraza show that you went to. So, uh, I think people who listen to the podcast know I am a huge mark for Hechicero, cover boy on one of the <laughs> issues, issues of the magazine. So, uh, how was that match versus Daniels, and how was the how was the Briscoes match? Since people will be able to watch him now. Well, unfortunately, the show was a disaster. Like I said, two hundred people in a building for two thousand. It was heavily raining. There was uh, rain leaking through the top. It's a it's a place where they hold uh, rodeos, obviously, Rodeo Santa Fe. And so the roof was leaking water. It was not the best atmosphere. We only got there in the middle of the... the, the, the it was supposed to be a four-way tag, but Pedro and Flamita ended up being canceled. So it was just a three-way tag, and it was okay. They did a lot of moves, but the referees screwed up a bunch of times. wasn't so hot. Then it was the Christopher Daniels versus Hechicero match. And it was good technically. I wouldn't say that Daniels was giving 110%. Hechicero definitely was. And I'm pretty sure the reason he went through all this was because Christopher Daniels was pretty high up on the ROH backstage ranking. Like, they listened to his input. So I'm sure a good performance by Hechicero could get him a spot in ROH at some point. So he was definitely out there working hard. They did some good stuff. Daniels was a little hesitant to use the rope at times. I wouldn't call the match bad. I wouldn't call the match great. It was fine. It might be better on video than it was live. I'm not sure. I guess I might rewatch it and just see how it turns out, how they filmed it. Uh, then afterwards, both guys put each other over on the microphone. The crowd clapped. There's not really any money thrown, unfortunately, but, I mean, there's only 200 people there. The main event was definitely... Not all out. It was uh, Volador basically let Ray Cometa do everything. Volador was not there to work his butt off. He knew what the situation was. He's a professional. So he wasn't about to kill himself for this type of crowd. He kind of stood on the apron. Ray Cometa did some stuff. The Briscoes did okay, but definitely not as much as they did the night before the Arena Mexico. I wouldn't say it's a match. You have to go out of your way to see. If you're going to watch anything from this show, it's going to be the Hechicero versus Daniels match. Well, it's funny is I realized after they announced it that the ROH TV taping that I went to in Baltimore 
that they actually worked against each other when they when the those guys came in for I guess is that when they were creating the the six man title the trios yeah yep. because yeah because it was Daniels and Kazarian and somebody else versus uh, Ultimo Guerrero Hedgesero and Okamura so so I actually had seen those two work before which is just weird that it just happened, you know, like the only second time that I've been to an ROH show and I got to see, you know, those two guys work against each other. So I'll be interested, I mean, because I'd be interested to see if Daniels comes back, you know, whether they end up getting to, like, work together again, because I think that'd be cool, especially actually in CML, that'd probably be kind of cool. Yeah, it's a shame that CML is so weird. That a match like that happened on the independent show, and then they just stuck Daniels in a random six-man tag the day after to Arena Mexico. Stuff like that I wish was a little different because we miss out on a lot of dream matches when guys come in and, like for example, Okada being in the past Friday and just being stuck in the semi-main event in a trios match. At the very least, couldn't we have gotten maybe a lightning match against Ultimo Guerrero or something? But this is how CML operates. What can you do? Uh, the other thing I guess we should mention since it happened this week and it was a big story is, as we mentioned earlier, that Viano 3 uh, passed away. And as we said, his match, his mask match against Atlantis is the only time that a Lucha match, a Lucha match has won uh, the Observer Match of the Year. Um, and I don't know uh, if he's going to, but I know Fredo and Kurt did an episode of Lucha World where they talked about the Atlantis Viano three feud. I think that was on the Patreon feed, but um, if, if that's available, people should listen to that. So I guess I'll think, are there any Viano three matches off the top of your head, other than the Atlantis match that you would recommend as sort of either famous matches or things you think people should see to maybe fully appreciate either him in a singles match or him with the other Vianos? Well, there's the Viano 3 versus Rambo match from AAA, the Mask versus Hair match in September 93. That's definitely worth checking out. I liked uh, when he had the resurgence, actually, after he lost the mask, when there were a lot of good matches in Arena Mexico with the Vianos against Dr. Wagner Jr., Blue Panther, and Black Warrior. They had a series of matches, including one for the trios titles on a pay-per-view that was really good. So that would be from the 2000. I think the match was on the was it on August 4th pay-per-view or it might have been on the winter pay-per-view, the December 2000 pay-per-view. But you can look it up. There's matches from around that time period. There's a bunch of stuff, older footage that ended up coming out of CML from the 80s where he's in a bunch of trios matches opposite Sangre Chicana that are good. I think they ended up in a singles match that ended up somehow coming out, excuse me, from Arena Coliseo. That's a good one to look up. Uh, and then late in his career, actually, not too late because he stuck around for a while, but there's a good handheld match with, I'm going to have to find a link, but it's him, Shuo Guerrero, Blue Panther, and Black Terry. Sorry, yeah, Blue Panther and Black Terry. I forget exactly how the match is paired up, but it's a tag team match, and it's a really good technical match. I have it up on my YouTube channel. I think I uploaded it recently, actually, so it should still be there close to the top of the new uploads. Really good tag match, and really sad that he passed away this week. Uh, 
just a sad situation. He'd been in bad health. And I mean, I, I really wish that him, his life could be used as a learning experience for other older luchadors. And don't get me wrong, I don't think anybody will learn for it, from it. And I think for a variety of reasons, it can't happen. But I really wish that people would look at him as the example of, please don't stick around for too long. Let Please leave with your head held high when people can remember you as going out with some dignity. Because unfortunately, most people, not just the U.S. fans, but even in Mexico, are going to remember him from the, the match he had with the clowns at Triple Media in 2015, a match that I was actually there live to see. And it's just a terrible way to remember a guy like that, a complete legend, somebody who should be remembered as being carried out on the shoulders after losing his his mask or getting a ceremony at Arena Mexico. That's how he should go out. Nobody should go out the way he did, where barely being able to stand up in a pointless undercard trios match I really hate seeing guys like that who they stick around for too long and everybody sees them go out at their worst when they should go out at their best. That's the one thing that I would change from his career because he definitely deserved to be remembered for much more than that match. And it's good that a lot of people are linking to matches of his and and are linking to better times. I, I don't want to see the pictures of him after he had a stroke or in the ring during that AAA match that I mentioned. The guy was a legend, one of the all-time best, and he deserves much better. So a lot of people, I know Fredo wrote something, and I'm sure he's going to write more. That's the kind of stuff that people should look up and read because the guy had a crazy long career, was involved in many, many big matches, and definitely if you ask me the all-time top wrestlers in Mexico, he gets into my, I would say, top ten. Yeah, and of course, I always say with the caveat of it's completely understandable if you don't want to watch them. But you know, he you know he has the mask the mask match versus Pegasus Kid, and there's also a match on YouTube where it's you know him Pegasus Kid Casas and Santo. So again, always with the disclaimer if you can't watch. Benoit's matches anymore it's completely understandable but if you can you know he certainly had a bunch of matches with Viana 3 that that people might want to watch yeah definitely uh I guess lastly before we go uh I believe yesterday uh in suburban Toronto was the first uh on act on ice activity of your new signing John Tavares so What's your excitement level for the upcoming Maple Leaf season? I am very excited. I think the Leafs are going to do great this year. I think that uh, finally the naysayers have been proved wrong. There is act- There are actually players out there whose dream is to play for the Leafs, and they will come here no matter what it no matter what it takes. So Tavares started it. Stamkos will follow eventually. <laughs> And we're gonna we're gonna form a dynasty here. We're gonna have a fourth line full of Stephen Stamkos type players who were born in Ontario and just want to play for the Leafs. No, no, no. Clearly, I'm joking, but I think that it's great. I think that more people should have the guts to do it, and we should. Uh, I think we should do good this year. I don't see any reason why the Leafs can't do good unless unless our goaltending goes to shit. We have a pretty good team. 
we have we have uh, we basically have a team where we can have Tavares can be a second line center, right? I mean, yeah. you can see that happening, right? Yeah. So, I mean, that's great. How many teams can say that? All the teams that they thought he was going to go to had him pegged as a number one a number one line center, but here he's probably going to slot in behind Matthews line. And there's no reason we could, we should have a and then Kadri's going to fill the role of the third line center. It's a really good lineup, and I mean, disaster could always happen because it is the Leafs. But I'm already uh, marking down a way where I can somehow secure playoff tickets this year because I could see the Leafs going far this year. Well, it will certainly be interesting to see how Babcock structures the power play too when you've got all of that offensive talent. I mean. You certainly got an – I mean, it will be curious to see who plays with who on which which power play line because you've certainly got enough for two quality lines. Yeah, it's just a matter of do you want to spread it out? Do you want to load it up? Me, personally, I, I'm, always a, I'm always a fan of spreading it out and then in-game being able to adapt where if you need a goal, send send the power out there. Send everybody out there. There's no reason why you shouldn't be able to do that. And it's just a matter of, I mean, I don't know. Babcock's a weird guy to me. I know that there's been all the, you've heard the rumors, right? About how he's been having, not problems, but he's had a, he had to go visit, what was the story? That he had to go visit Austin Matthews to iron out some of their problems? Yeah, I, yeah, I guess I guess there are issues, as they would say. <laughs> there are issues. I mean, but... Listen, he's got a team where he can just toss. They've even got Patrick Marlowe coming back this year. And Marlowe's always been good on the power play. He's a veteran presence. How could you go wrong when you've got young guys young guys like Nylander, Hyman, Marner? Like, Marner could end up playing on the third line at some point this year. That's ridiculous. They certainly, it, yeah, things are certainly on paper looking looking very good for them. Definitely. Yeah. We'll see what happens, and uh, I'm just, you know, I'm hoping that it's not a case where they start off a little slow, and then the media jumps on them and starts saying, oh, it's a disaster, oh, they come up with all their stories. I mean, I even think that the whole trying to trying to pretend like uh, there, were, there were major problems. I'm sure there was a disagreement between the how many minutes that uh, – that, uh, Matthews was getting in the playoffs, but I don't think it was a situation where, like, I don't know, they were trying to build it up as, oh, Babcock can't coach young guys. Give me a break. This team was fine this year. They just happened to not do good in the playoffs. You know, they ran into a juggernaut. Yep, and we'll see. Um, So, Rob, I want to thank you for coming back on again. Uh, I know people can uh, check out your Instagram feed for – clips and stuff there's of course uh lucha gifts which is always uh a treasure trove of cool and and wacky stuff um anything else uh, you want to mention uh since we talked about my trip you should follow my instagram my instagram is uh rob viper 13 you hit that up you can see all the videos i shoot from the crowd cool pictures i take with wrestlers just it's a good way to follow my trip experience because I don't post everything on Twitter. It can get a bit much at times, so it's better just to. I used Instagram basically as a as a as a 
a way to keep up with all my adventures because I go to so many shows. So it'll be busy over the next few weeks with all my trips out to Chicago and L.A. And I'm still trying to get back to Mexico at some point this year. So that's Instagram, Rob Viper 13 There's my Twitter where I post all my controversial opinions and end up getting me in trouble. And, yeah, that's it. Uh, support Lucha Libre. Support Puma King. He's got a big match coming up. I know he's a favorite of yours. Yes. He's got a, he's got a big big match coming up in Bola. Hopefully that – I know you're not a PWG fan per se, but, you know, if he does good there, that's great for his career. Yeah, it's funny that, you know, we, we didn't mention, but, like, a, a, you know, a lot of the quote-unquote friends of the magazine slash podcast, you know, have been in the – Again, Puma King went independent. You know, he's been working in Triple... You know, he's going to be on Triple Mania. You know, he's doing PWG. He's doing a lot of American indie stuff. You know, Xerxes is going to be... Whenever they start showing the Mae Young Classic, you know, she's got a couple matches in there. So that that's cool. It's, you know, I don't necessarily like seeing people I like leave CMLL out of sort of selfishness, but I'm certainly glad for their career if it's you know beneficial for them i certainly wouldn't want to stand in their way you know if it means getting work in the states or you know just more work in general and again like we were talking about you know the cml problems it's like you know there was that brief time where it looked like puma and tiger were going to get elevated and then it didn't happen and then it you know i don't you know, unfortunately, I guess, unfortunately for them, like the Dinamitas came along and, you know, they got pushed pretty high up the card, you know, where, you know, that could have been Puma and Tiger, it could have been the Panthers, but, you know, the, the NJD are, you know, I don't know if they're at the top, but they're certainly in the upper, the upper card now. Yeah, that's what happens in CML. You get slotted in a certain position sometimes and doesn't matter who your family is, how much your talent, how much talent you have, you just that's how they'll see you forever. It's uh, it's very similar to WWE, where if Vince sees you at a certain point, he'll just keep you at a certain point. And CMLL is very much the same. They just never saw Puma as anything but a good guy, good hand to have around for second and third matches. And we'll see. I mean, there's no guarantee that he succeeds in the U.S. It's all up to him. He's he's got a chance now. He's being booked on shows where he can be seen and. If he can deliver, he's going to be a success. Same thing with Zeuxis now. she's She got her chance. I heard she did good, but we'll see when the footage eventually comes out. There's a guy like Bandito, who's clearly the breakout star of Mexico this year. He's all over the place. It's only a matter of time before I'm sure he gets swallowed up by WWE. But in the meantime, he's gotten the chance. He's gotten the exposure, and he's delivered. He's killed it. If Puma can do the same... He will just follow what Bandito's been doing. And my goal or my expectation is that as this will be the new cycle, the cycle of life of a Mexican luchador with talent, they will generate buzz in Mexico. They will not get pushed to the top in Mexico because that's just not how it works. And once the Phoenixes and Pentagons move on of the world, the Banditos and Pumas will take their place. Once the Bandito and Puma get swallowed up, there will be new guys to come in and take their place. And so if you're a luchador in Mexico right now and you've got talent, just keep doing what you're doing. You'll get noticed. At some point, you will get a shot in the U.S. And then it's up to you to succeed and eventually move on 
and work your way up to WWE, which is most people's end game. I was saying, yeah, we did not touch on the. I guess Ray will probably be going back at some point in the near future, and then, you know, there's all these stories about Pentagon and Phoenix, at least being on the WWF radar, if you know, mm-hmm. depending on how much fire there is with all the smoke. Uh, I should also say, since we forgot to mention that you, you are you and Cubs do the occasional Como Estas podcast. I know you guys did one. A couple of weeks ago where you talked about your trip. So if people did not hear enough about your trip here, make sure you go and, and check that out too. Yeah, me and Cubs, uh, I missed him. This was my first time in Mexico in a while where he hasn't been along, I think. Oh, no, well, no, because he wasn't there in March either. But last time was November. We did a long tour together going to many cities. And it's a shame he couldn't get down. But I'm going to see him next week because I'm going to be in Chicago. We're going to hit up a couple shows together. And actually, I think he's made it public. He's going to Bola this year. So we're going to see each other twice in a short amount, of, short amount of time. And we will be filming a live Como Estas podcast with a bunch of special guests. So definitely look forward to that. Cool. Yeah, so people can look forward to that uh, in the near future. Thanks again, Rob. And we will talk to everybody next time.